0: All right, we're into our fourth lesson on how to be led by God. We have made the distinction of not just being led by the Holy Spirit, because if that's the case, if we're just led by the Holy Spirit, we miss out on all these other uh, leadings of God. Plus, in my experience observing the body of Christ over the last 20 years, if all we are is led by the Spirit, we get spooky, mystical, and we miss the mark a whole lot. And so uh, as I was writing this and meditating on it, the Lord it showed me how to do this or write this in a better way, so it broadens our foundation as uh, mature Christians in our leadings. So let's continue here. We are continuing our study on the seven leadings of God, classified by frequency of occurrence. And so uh, we're going in order of how frequently, or we would even use the term the weighted average or the weight, weightiness of the leadings we can expect. Uh, a little analogy may be helpful to understand our teachings thus far. So pardon me if I draw back on my geology background in soil science. In geology and soils engineering, earth materials can be classified according to their sizes, ranging from boulders, the biggest, all the way down to clay-sized particles, which, of course, are the smallest. If we were to take a large volumetric structure, uh, such as a warehouse or even this, this sanctuary, and if we filled it full of boulders first... Boulders are about the size of cars. Actually, boulders get down to about car tire size. Boulders, car tires up to, you know, the size of a car. If we were to fill this sanctuary full of boulders, there would still be enough volume in between the boulders for us to crawl and wiggle around and move. And I know that from caving. So with all this volumetric space that's still available, you could then fill it with cobbles because cobbles are the next step down after boulders. And once filled with cobbles, there would still be plenty of void space to allow for gravel. We're all familiar with gravel size. And once filled with gravels, then pebbles, then sand, then silt, and finally clay. And technically, there would still be volume left to fill the whole thing with water, though on one technicality, clay is considered an aquatar because the hydraulic conductivity of clay is very slow. Boulders would fill the largest volume. The smallest volume would be filled by clay, and this example should help us to understand the major leadings of God and the frequency of their activity in a normal Christian life. And so I equate the Bible or the Word of God to boulders. The Bible should be the largest, heaviest influence in our life. It's in a sense, if we're building a pyramid, it's the wide foundation. And then as we go up in our leadings as we're teaching them, they're getting smaller and, in a sense, higher in order but less frequent. And so I kind of created a little bit of a a modified Holy Ghost grain size analysis chart here. So we have boulders, which would represent the Word of God in my little analogy. Cobbles, which would represent wisdom, being led by wisdom, which we covered last week. Gravels, which represents peace, which we're covering this week. Uh, Pebbles, being led by the Holy Spirit. Sand, which is anointed leadership. And uh, I kind of hold anointed leadership and the Holy Spirit almost neck and neck, But I'm going to exalt being led by the Holy Spirit above leadership because the Holy Spirit is always with you and anointed leadership is not always with you. But you will probably hear my voice more than you'll hear the Holy Spirit's voice, but I'm not always with you. (laughs) And then uh, the word of the Lord is the equivalent of silt and the supreme voice of the Father we will equate to clay. So hopefully you catch that analogy. Boulders, when you pile a bunch of boulders in here, we understand there's going to be voids in there airspace. We could then fill that with cobbles like cobblestone driveways, cobbles, and then gravels, and then pebbles, and then sand, and then silt, and then clay. All right. We got that? Wanna make sure you a good, solid Christian. Doctor Baidu, you're the civil engineer. Am I accurate on my grain size analysis? Yeah, I did enough of that in my my career to remember this. I was actually going to include millimeter size along with that, but I thought that might be overkill as far as 1 to 256 millimeter on the clay size particle. But we previously covered the first two ways God will lead us by his word and through wisdom. This brings us to number three on the list, which is peace. Just as we saw that wisdom is rooted in the word of God and is a natural extension of the Bible, obviously the more we know the Bible, the more wisdom we'll have. Peace is then rooted in wisdom And it becomes a natural extension of the spirit of wisdom. So it's kind of neat to see how the Bible unfolds this naturally. If you know the Bible, you're going to be getting filled with wisdom anyway because you know the Word of God, you know the law of God, you just know wisdom. But the Bible actually tells us that peace proceeds forth from wisdom. So they kind of do lend itself to this pattern that I'm teaching. So look at James 3.17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then peaceable. So when you have the wisdom of God, it automatically lends itself to peace. And we need to know that. If we lack peace on something, we're probably not in the wisdom of God. And we need to fall back till we find what the wisdom of God is saying in that situation. And the wisdom is in gentle. It's easy to be approached. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Proverbs says concerning wisdom that wisdom's ways are pleasantness and all her paths are peace. And so when you walk in the wisdom of God, the pathways that unfold before you will be peaceable paths. They won't be rocky. They won't be jarring your teeth. They won't be full of tumult or opposition or attack. They'll be peaceable ways. So I I want those verses out there so you can see that this thing that I'm teaching is actually established in the scriptures. Wisdom is built upon the word, but peace proceeds forth from wisdom. That's why the word's first, then the wisdom of God, then the peace of God. The word begets wisdom, wisdom begets peace, and God has called us unto peace. So finding and maintaining personal peace should not be very difficult to do. I want you to understand that we're supposed to be children who sit under the prince of peace. Peace should be what defines our life across the board. We should have peace in our home, peace in our mind, peace in our body, peace in our finances. The, the Hebrew greeting, Shalom, is a very complex understanding that we, we lack. We used to have some Messianic Jews that attended our church for a season. These folks were so Jewish, they were born again charismatics, but they, they were Yiddish, they were Jewish from Brooklyn, and they still spoke Yiddish. That's how Jewish they were. So I asked the lady, I said, teach me about shalom. I said, when you Jews, and now she's born again, when you Jews say shalom, what does that mean to you? Actually, she gave me the definition. I saved it from a couple of years ago. Let me pull it up. Because this is critical to our understanding. Let's see here, shalom. Listen, not shalom. Come on. Well, see if I still have it. Did I accidentally delete that? Hopefully not. It's down at the very bottom. She basically said that shalom was the kingdom and the peace of God coming to every aspect of your life. And so when when a Jewish person says shalom, they mean peace to your body, peace to your marriage, peace to your money, peace to your children, peace to your home, peace to all your comings, peace to all your goings. Now Jerusalem is Jerusalem, the city of peace. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And the third fruit of the Spirit is peace. This thing called peace should inundate everything we do. We should wake up in it. We should go to bed in it. It should be such the norm to us that the second we begin to even step outside its limits, we are aware of it. And then that's what catches us. And we say, "Uh, let's get back into this. If you've ever bought a new car and driven that new car every day, you know that car so that if something ever starts to rub, squeak, vibrate, you know something is not right. I don't know what it is, but this is not my car. That's how the peace of God should be in our life. We have it so much in so many areas that no matter what we're doing, the second we start to lose a little bit of it, we fall back, to the Prince of Peace to figure out what to do. Uh, Furthermore, peace is the third fruit of the Spirit, so having it is essential to mature Christianity. If you are not walking in peace, there is some maturing that must be developed. This doesn't mean our peace won't be attacked. This doesn't mean that our life won't come under uh, demonic opposition, but we live in peace. You can't change the situations around you, but you can change your heart in the midst of that storm. We look at Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and even when the storm was raging and the seasoned fishermen were freaking out, Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He had no concerns. Peace is the first out of our, out of seven leadings that begin to leave the concreteness of the written word and the stability of common sense and sound counsel. And by definition, Supernatural peace is often peace that passes all understanding. So here with peace, we actually begin to leave some concreteness of things that make sense, and that's okay. For this reason, because we are leaving the concreteness, the stability of the Word, and what we might call wisdom or common sense, we need to have a very good understanding of peace so that we don't get foolish or reckless and say, well, I have peace about this. Because none of these leadings will negate the others. None of these leadings will contradict the others. If you have peace but your leadership doesn't feel good about it, we've got to slow down. If you have peace but it contradicts the word, we've got to slow down. If you've got peace but it contradicts biblical wisdom, we have to slow down. All right, so led by peace. Why is this so important? There will always come a time when direction in life is needed and both the Bible and sound wisdom are either mute Are neutral on the subject. The Bible doesn't tell you the name of your spouse. The Bible doesn't tell you how many children to have. The Bible doesn't tell you what to major in. The Bible doesn't tell you what church to go to. It gives us parameters, but uh, it doesn't tell us what country to take the mission trip to, or what airline to use, or how long to stay. These scenarios can include where to go to college, which major to choose, which job offer to accept, travel plans, missionary trips, business dealings, etc. In these types of situations, we can look to the peace of God to lead us. And I, I would say we need to. We must look to the peace of God. So Isaiah 55, 12 is the one verse I always use when I teach on being led forth with peace. Isaiah the prophet said, after the word of God has done its work and he sent forth his word, it didn't return to him void, but it accomplished that which he purposed. He said, and you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. We want to make sure that in all of our goings, we have peace on the matter. And if there's no peace, then you fall back to that last place where you had peace. Uh, we like to point out here that when you're full of joy and you're going out with peace, even the trees and the mountains are in agreement and they're cheering you on, and they're saying, yay. <laughs> they're not sinning against God. They're not marching on into calamity. When we canceled the Kenya trip a couple weeks ago and, uh, and flew back, Hannah was telling me, she said, after, I think it was Monday or Tuesday when I got back, she said, pastor, I can't explain it. You called me from the airport because she had to do all the cleanup for me, get all the airfare back and reschedule, rebook some stuff. So she, she's cleaning the whole mess up for me. She said, uh, I can't explain it, but you said you weren't going and I got excited for you. She said, joy just came all over me. And she said, then Miss Manda said something about this verse. And I realized, yeah, if you walk in peace, everybody around you has joy. Now think about that. You walk in peace, everybody around you will have joy and even the trees will cheer for you. So what happens if you walk through life with no peace? What if you're dad and you're miserable? There's no joy in your home trees in your yard don't like you. The mountain you live beneath throws rocks at you. So we have to fight for peace. You have to fight for peace in your mind and in your heart. And sometimes we get out of peace because we're pushing for our own agenda because it's what we want. But you've got to maintain peace. You cannot make clear decisions if your mind is a whirlwind. If your mind is one of those Turkish whirling dervishes, you're nuts. And you've got to get a hold of that in canceling that Kenya trip, you know, the word of God was silent. It was almost confounding. Here I am. I'm called to missions. got a grace for missions. Been to Kenya three times. This would have been my fourth. This would have been my 20th trip to Africa. Have all the money for it. Felt good about it three months prior. But I can sit there and realize I know the peace of God. So to sit in the airport in New York, I could sit there at that gate and say, I know the peace of God. And this is not it. And I am going home, and I don't care what the cleanup is. I got to get back in the peace of God. But if you don't know the peace of God, you'll march on and cut off your own arm and not even feel it. It's almost like Samson. He didn't even know the presence of God anymore, so when it left him, he was none the wiser. And that should terrify us. So many Christians live apart from the peace of God, and if they do something great for God, it's just by happenstance. It's like the blind squirrel finding the acorn every once in a while. Did you know blind squirrels are very skinny? (laughs) As we saw with wisdom in the last lesson, peace is tied to both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Yet as we rightly divide the Word, we must classify peace as its own separate leading. When peace is leading you, others will bear witness with joy and approval. When peace is really leading you, It will bear witness with people around you. This is how we as a congregation, we can judge when when young people are in love and they're dating or courting. This is how we can judge when people wanna go on a mission trip or they wanna start a business. It it just bears witness with the congregation. Those around us either have joy or we all say, "Mm, hmm, don't feel good about this. Oh, you're just against me. We're not against you. We're for you. All I can tell you is you said you like so-and-so. My inside tightened up. Well, I'm going to start a business. And I thought, hmm. Or we're going to get married in a week. Hmm. Or I'm going to change majors or go to this school. We're not trying to hinder anybody. We're operating in spiritual law. And we wish you would. Because when everybody's in peace, everybody's shouting for joy and trees are clapping everywhere we go. Apparently, even the trees in the mountains will be in agreement. And I have no real interpretation on that, but it is a fun part of the verse. Trees clap their hands and Mountains break forth into singing. I think in these parts it's yodeling, <laughs> hillbilly music. I think that uh, somebody said the hills were alive with the sound of music. Is that Heidi? Sound of Music. What's that? The Von Trapp. Yeah. Whatever. As you can tell, I was not a dramatic arts major in any time of my life. <laughs> Psalm 119, 165. Anybody know that verse? Let's preach the first half of it. Great peace have they which love the law. So we're just proving here that peace is an extension of the word. It's a leading of God, but it extends from the word. And when you love the word of God, you have peace. So if you don't have peace, go back and examine the law of God. Now, what that might mean is the law is talking to you. And by law, we mean the whole Bible. The law is talking to you, but you're not doing it. Pastor Vaughn used to have that story about a man who came to this church for a season. And he said, I I just, I can't handle the Bible. I read it and it condemns me. I read it and it condemns me. I read it and it condemns me. And so that really bothered Pastor Vaughn because he said, Lord, I read the Bible. It doesn't condemn me. It gives me strength. So he sought the Lord on that. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, it condemns him because I speak to him through it and he won't obey it. And so the key to having peace is you see something in the word and you do it. Because doing the word brings confidence. Doing the word brings peace. And one of the other aspects of peace is there is this built-in governor safety switch, thank God, that when you disobey God, he takes peace away from you. Growing up, I was a sleeper. My brother was not. And if my dad was regimented, my mom worked the 11 to 7 shift at the hospital. So dad was always getting us up in the morning. And dads are not good with children, if you don't know. It takes a lot of skill. Plus, my dad was an, is an engineer, and so that's even, like even more mechanical. And he was a World War II vet's son and a farm boy. So this made for a rough upbringing. Uh, this modern millennial snowflake generation could not have handled an upbringing in the 70s and 80s. Amen. They've made new laws to accommodate their weakness. Uh, Lydia needed a Band-Aid this morning. I said, girl, you don't need a Band-Aid for that. She said, yeah, I do. I said, listen, uh, if you grew up in my household, you get no Band-Aids. Why is that? I said, because your grandmother's a mean woman. <laughs> so dad, when he turned on, he'd go in there. Wake up, boys. It's time to wake up. We had an alarm. We'd snooze through it. Wake up, boys. Turn on the light. i gonna be back in five minutes. You better be awake. He'd go in there, and if we were disobedient, he'd begin to take things from us, like sheets, <laughs> pillow. And then, after three or four times, he'd come in with pitchers of water and then just pour them on us. Spiritually speaking, when you disobey God, he begins to take things from you, too. Thank God, the first thing is peace and not health, not sanity, and not salvation. But you start disobeying God and you go down that path long enough, everything begins to be taken from you by your own doing. Everybody likes to say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Be careful if you really want to hold to that doctrine, because you sin long enough, you will lose your health, you will lose your family, you will lose your mind, and you might even curse God and lose your salvation. And that's why peace is the first thing you leave or lose. So you'll hurry back to dad, father, and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Hold me, accept me again. Amen. The primary key to being led by peace is to know its presence in your life. The first way to develop God's peace in your life is to love His Word. Loving God's law will build such a foundation and atmosphere of peace in our lives, we would easily detect its absence if we were to ever make a decision that, which forfeited that peace. Now again, let me emphasize this. A lot of Christians don't know the peace of God. Many Christians are addicted to agitation. They're addicted to gossip. They're addicted to slander. They're addicted to strife. They can't get along with their husband, their wife, their kids. And so everything is just a, a chaotic tempest in a teacup, as you'd say. It's a tornado in a trailer park. It's just chaotic. So you, you don't know calm. So how in the world could you ever be led by the Holy Spirit, which is a still, small voice, if you don't first have peace? And the the key to peace is not marching forward, it's falling back. If you've lost peace, you don't march forward looking for something to fill the hole, like they say, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for acceptance. It's not marching forward. Before you move forward, you've got to get back to where you last had peace at. You see this example over and over again in the Old Testament with Abraham first and then the nation of Israel. Abraham, after every battle, he'd go back to the last place God appeared to him, whether it was Bethel or Beersheba. Those were the two places he kept going back to. In Israel, after all their battles, they would go back to the, the, where uh, the Hebrew word means the rolling, where the offense and the, the sin had been rolled away, but the name in the Hebrew escapes me. They would always go out to battle and come back there where God spoke to them last. And that's the key to peace. But you have to know it first. And the day that we're living in where 30% of America is mentally ill. And America claims to be 80 90% Christian still. So we'd say even a third of the body of Christ probably has some kind of clinical mental illness. Peace. Peace fixes most symptoms of the major three mental illnesses. And it's a peace that passes understanding. When you habitually abide in peace, you'll know the instant it leaves you. And here's the other cool thing about peace that I've learned from experience. Even if you're making a wrong decision with the right motive and a right heart, God has mercy on you. And as you march towards that decision, you begin to feel the peace ebb from you. It begins to depart from you. And the closer you get towards that decision or that date or that vacation or that purchase, you just get to where you, you just feel blah. Uh, Robert, I was going to send Robert uh, with Mr. Earl and Mr. Gary to Madagascar to help Reverend Jean-Paul. Robert was excited about it. They were shuffling around a vacation. Then he calls him back, can't do it, pastor. I got no peace about this. Hey man, no problem. Thank God we know peace. And the second it's gone, I start cutting things off to get back to my peace. No explanation. Robert travels the world on missions, been to Africa how many times? 25, 27 times? What's that? 19. Robert's a missionary, evangelist. Nothing's too rough for Robert. Got money to go to Madagascar, but no peace. Thank God we know it. Isaiah 26, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed and established on thee, because he trusteth in thee now notice how do we we're talking about how to stay in peace keep your mind stayed on him keep your mind stayed on him the second way to build an atmosphere and lifestyle of habitual peace is to keep in your life is to keep your mind stayed on him this requires a disciplined mind if you're going to go to this church you're going to have to have a disciplined mind if you're going to live in this day and age you're going to have to have a disciplined mind Pastor Vaughn used to say, the only difference between us and those in the loony bin is we haven't been caught yet. He said that all the time. And I thought, you're right. I feel half crazy sometimes. I feel half crazy half the time. That might make me a quarter crazy all the time. And now we joke about that, but you just let one vain imagination, one fear, one paranoia take root. In this day and age, the cultural, spiritual realm will grow that thing into a hundredfold harvest in a month. You have to keep a a tight lock on your mind and cast down thoughts and vain imaginations. My wife and I, we bounce stuff off each other to to like a sounding board of reasoning. If my wife is struggling with something, she'll say, honey, I need you to judge me. I have this anxious fear about this. That's not God. Just tell it, shut up. Okay. And it instantly squishes it. Or I'll say, honey, Tell me if this is God or not. I'm kind of in a tumult right now in my mind. And I'll say something. She said, that's not God. Thank you for judging me. Now, but then again, you got to be able to submit to one another and trust one another. My wife is my necessary ally. She's my helpmeet, And she represents the half of God I don't. She's the image of God that I am not because we're both created in the image of God. you have going to have to have a disciplined mind. And you should know Philippians 4, 8, like, you know, the fruit of the spirit, like, you know, the gifts of the spirit. The whatsoever things are lovely, pure, just of good report, think on these, that might mean for you, you can't watch certain movies. I, I like crime shows. I like, the, I like the detectives breaking down things, but they had one about special victims unit that I could never watch because it was always about children being traumatized. And I, just, I don't want to meditate on that. I don't mind a murder of a criminal and they're solving the case. That's okay. I, I like the detective thing, but I don't want to meditate on children being kidnapped. I, no, I don't need to feed that. But everybody's mind is geared a little different, so you have to keep a tight rein on it. If you don't keep a rein on your mind, you will lose it in the day that we live in. We, uh, we had that windstorm that came through last week, and it took my umbrella out of my... Well, We've had one take my umbrella and send it a couple yards away. It took my umbrella, just caught it, turned everything over, almost broke everything, because it wasn't anchored down. And we live in a increasing storm of last day's life. You need to make sure your mind is anchored down really good. All right, Philippians 4.9. Here's another way to establish peace in your life. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Our first way was to know the Word. The Word establishes peace in you. The second way was to keep your mind stayed on God. That means a disciplined mind. The third way is to follow church leadership. That's what Paul was saying. The things which you have both learned in your church and received in your church and heard in your church and seen in your leadership, do. And in that, the God of peace will be with you. Here's the thing that we don't get, and preachers don't preach about it because it seems self-exalting, but it's a biblical truth I'd teach for any church, that whoever stands behind this pulpit has had to be proven by God for sometimes decades in, this, in private before God would ever promote them to a public leadership and model and pattern. And so if we put anybody in this pulpit on a regular basis or bring any guests back on a regular basis, there are things in their lives you should gravitate towards and emulate and live out. And for many years, even still now, if I don't know exactly what to do, I would ask myself, what would Pastor Barclay do in this situation? I used to say, what would Pastor Vaughn do in this situation? How would he live this thing out? Uh, or, you know, what do, what do my pastor's wives look like? Because that's what I want in a woman. How, what is their character? What is their strength? You know, we're not trying to exalt man, but at the same time, if God has promoted or exalted a man or a woman, well, if God's doing it, then you can, to a certain degree, Follow in behind that and say, hey, if it's working for him, it'll work for me. If it works for their marriage, it'll work for our marriage. If, that's, if their kids are doing great, I'm going to copy how they're parenting their kids. The third way to establish the peace of God in your life is to obey the spiritual leaders God has placed in your life by following their example. We are not responsible to follow every preacher or teacher, just the one God has assigned to us. And I would encourage you here... Be careful you don't become, I don't mind the term foodie. I like food, uh, and, and foodie's kind of a new modern term where people like a wide cuisine. Be careful you don't become a spiritual foodie, where you, Monday I feed on this ministry, and Tuesday I feed on this ministry, and Wednesday I feed on this ministry, and Thursday I, I watch this telecast, and Friday I watch this, listen to this podcast. You will ruin your spiritual appetite, and you'll be delusional, because they may be good ministries, but they're not the one you're called to And it can become a tumult and a whirlwind in your mind because they say it from this perspective and they say it from this perspective and this person contradicts this perspective. And honestly, most Christians are not mature enough to handle that. Now, coming back to foodies, I like food. I like cuisine from all over the world. I'd rather eat Indian than American just about. And I like Thai food and like Vietnamese food. But I don't do that to my kids because their stomach can't handle that. We we, kind of keep a... A consistent diet for them because if all of a sudden you throw something in the mix they might throw it up or have a runny tummy and you have a mess on your hands but as you get older and more mature you might be able to safely handle a wider range of food uh, but honestly most of the body of Christ cannot it makes them in a sense spiritual tramps spiritual floozies hopping from place to place to place to place <laughs> Timothy wasn't confused as to who he followed And David only listened to two prophets and nobody else. He had Saul, then he had Samuel, then he had Nathan. He didn't have 16 favorite preachers on Christian television or podcasting. So be careful with that. This will help stabilize your life and create a lifestyle of divine peace. Now, should that peace ever leave you, you must go back after it. All right, so I just gave you three ways to develop peace. Know the word. Great peace have they which love thy law. Keep your mind disciplined and stayed on Jesus and follow spiritual leadership in your life. Threefold, three different ways. That's a tripod. That's a very stable foundation. So what happens if peace leaves us? Psalm 34, depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace and chase after it. Don't chase after that thing that's sucking peace out of you. You figure out where you were the last time you had peace and you chase back after that thing. When I, 2005, when I was in Detroit boarding a flight for Okinawa that was then going on to uh, Manila, Philippines, I had all peace absolutely leave my life. And I, I could tell I don't need to get on this airplane. I don't need to get on this airplane. This is not the will of God for my life. This is gonna ruin me. I knew nothing else to do but to come back to Cookville because that's the last place I had the peace of God. I couldn't go back to Knoxville because the church was in defunction and I had nothing there for me. I said at that gate, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to Cookville and I'm going back to Pastor Vaughn because he's my spiritual father and I have peace there. And everything else was falling down apart for me. My mind was a whirlwind. I'd given away everything. The only thing I had left was in a duffel bag and a car I couldn't sell. But through all the, almost like... uh, the Wizard of Oz and the tornado and everything blowing around, there was Cookville Christian Fellowship and Pastor Vaughn, and that was peace, and I sought it. And I clung to that, and it took a long time for my mind to slow down and stability come back to me, but I set my anchor and just clung to that and rode the storm out. Too many Christians don't have an anchor. They don't have a home base. They don't have a place that says, if everything falls apart, if it all, if hell comes... I know where to go. David had the cave of Dulem. Israel had Jerusalem. We we have a place that God has called us to that is our place of safety, our place of refuge. You seek peace and you pursue it at all costs till you get back there. Should you ever find yourself at a place where your life totally lacks peace, you must go back to the last place where you had it. You must seek that peace and pursue it paying whatever price necessary. <laughs> I have lost so much money trying to find peace because I spent money trying to obey God and only get out there and realize that's not God. Wow, and it's miserable out here. And I didn't let any dollar amount keep me from the peace of God. Like I said se- several of you, you said, wow, thank God you were led by peace and you came back, Kenya didn't work out. I said, no, no, don't don't applaud me. If you were as miserable as I was, You'd have sold your favorite truck just to have some peace. There was nothing spiritual about that. There was nothing mature. It's just common sense. It's like, I don't know, it's like something's hot and you pull your hand back. Well, thank God you did that. That's a reflex. (laughs) I'm used to comfortable. This is not comfortable. In order to seek comfort, I yank my hand back fast. The problem is so many Christians are numb. They march through fire and wonder why their life sloughs off in scabs and burns. That's not the will of God. Find peace. Psalm 38.3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest, the word is shalom, or peace. Neither is there any peace in my bones because of my sin. I want you to see one of the things that will cause peace to leave you is when you start tracking into the arena of sin. It's built in. We've already covered that. It's a built in safety measure. Uh, anybody that operates equipment, you know, if you start to push the limits of it, usually there's an alarm that'll start to sound to let you know danger, danger. Now, if you can detect pieces leaving you, you'd be a fool to per- press on. You'd be a fool to, to keep trying to make this thing work. I was just watching a movie this weekend, and they, it was kind of a military movie. They were trying to take a helicopter higher. Then a helicopter should go. Helicopters can only go about, I think it's 10 or 12,000, 13,000 feet because the air gets too thin for the rotors to be able to push down, so they max out. So they were climbing higher trying to get over this mountain peak, and all the alarms started going off because it was too high. The air was too thin, and it becomes very dangerous. Uh, you and I, we often push through that alarm only to crash and burn. We do it with friendships we do it with business dealings. We do it with mission trips. We do it with extended family. You push through that alarm. Nack, nak, nack, 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 nack. And you suffer and it's your fault when it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be a hero. You just have to obey God. And unless you're married to them or they're a kid living at your home, you're not responsible for them. Not now, not ever Quit being the hero. Obey God. We're not called to be heroes. We're called to be servants, and servants obey. All right, we got to get moving. Personal sin makes it very difficult to be led by the peace of God. Sin is like static to a radio signal. Clear up the sin, and your sensitivity to the peace of God will clear up as well. We've all, I think, probably helped somebody who was grossly backslidden, fornicating, maybe drinking, just living a debaucherous life. And they'll sit down and say, I just, I'm so miserable. And we can troubleshoot their life so easily. And yet, we sometimes can't even troubleshoot ours because we have become numb and all we hear is static. And we can't tune in to the signal of God. All right, next section Why Being Led by Peace Works. It may help to understand why being led by the peace of God is trustworthy especially when the Bible is perhaps silent or wisdom is muted in our decision-making. So why can we trust peace? I like to know how things work. Psalm 85, 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. Notice he has two classifications of people. Those that are his, and saints means holy ones. Just because you are a people of God doesn't make you a holy one. But let them turn, excuse me, not turn again to folly. So when the Lord speaks to you, he's speaking peace. So back to my recent Kenya pullout. I'm sitting in JFK Airport, no peace. I told somebody, I said, I don't mean to sound trippy. I said, but the closer I got to getting on the airplane for Nairobi, and this is just a few weeks ago and I was pushing through this thing didn't want I thought maybe this is the de- the devil trying to hinder me the more I pushed through it the more it began to affect my physical body which is really trippy I felt like I was pushing through like an elastic ball and it was causing my body to physically tremble and I said I've been on a lot of mission trips they have never felt like this even when my life was in danger I never felt this before The Lord I has no peace my physical body is trembling And even with the misery I was in, the Lord was saying, go home. And that's him speaking peace. But you don't get it till you start to obey it. Because if you got it on the spot, you'd think you were still good. So you have to begin to commit to what he's told you to do. But notice it says he'll speak peace. Only don't let his people return to their folly. So being led by peace works because when God speaks, it is peace. The real word of the Lord will bring peace. It may bring a little discomfort to the flesh or the heart, but the end fruit thereof is peace. The communications of God to his people and to his saints will always bring peace. Even if it's a rebuke, the end result is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. If God is truly leading you, peace will be evident and present. Isaiah 32, 17. And the work, this is my favorite verse on this subject. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, assurance, and confidence forever. So what does that mean? If what you're doing is God, it will produce peace and confidence and assurance and a quietness in your life. If what you're doing is God, this is the automatic byproduct. Just like if a boat moves through water, it has a wake behind it. The bigger the boat, the faster the speed, the bigger the wake. And righteousness you perfecting or working or doing a work of righteousness produces a wake behind you of peace, quietness, and confidence. That may be like Isaiah 55. I declare I'm not going to Kenya on this trip. And Hannah said, I had joy. It's almost like she passed into the wake behind me. That was quietness and assurance and confidence. Accomplishing the will of God or any will of God is the work of righteousness. Accomplishing any work of righteousness will automatically create or produce peace, quietness, and confidence. Rebellion and disobedience have the exact opposite effect in the spirit realm, producing tumult, tension, frustration, and confusion. This is why the presence of peace is always a good indicator that God's will is being accomplished. And again, once you learn the peace of God, this thing is so easy, but you have to get there And then stay there. Learn the peace of God and then go about your day-to-day life. And and honestly, like every other thing we've said, when you know the word of God, you don't have to pray so much. When you know the wisdom of God, you don't have to pray so much. When you know the peace of God, you don't have to be so spooky. You can just go about normal things, do the last thing you knew to do, do common sense. And if you start to cross out of the will of God, peace will go, "Well, well, all right, let's fall back and pray a little bit now. And you honestly, you allow the peace or the lack of it to begin to lead you to prayers of direction. This is really will dial back the spooky goofiness of charismatic Christianity. But then again, the pride says, I want to be a guru. I want everybody to think I'm spiritual and I hear from God. We can look at your life and tell whether you do or don't hear from God. We can look at the confidence in your eyes, the, the boldness of your countenance and tell whether you know God or not. Amen. Jeremiah 29 11, I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, which is shalom. I have plans of peace, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. The plan of God is peace-filled. The plan of God is peace-filled. That's why if you start marching down a path that is not peace-filled, it's not the plan of God. Abort, reject, pull back, walk away, retreat, abandon. The plan of God is peace-filled. It's not opposition-free. It is peace-filled. Peace will always be found in the plan of God for your life because that's exactly what God called it, plans of peace. When I was in college trying to figure out what my major should be, marketing was way too easy, engineering was way too much math. It's like Goldilocks. Geology was just right. I had peace there. It challenged me, it kept me outdoors, it catered to my artistic visual aspect, and I enjoyed the science. There was a peace there. I had no peace in marketing, and after half a semester of calculus, I had definitely no peace there. <laughs> yeah. uh, one year a marketing major, one year an engineering major, three and a half, uh, two and a half years, yeah, two and a half years a geology major. It took a lot of summer classes to make up for it. Peace will always be found in the plan of God for your life because that's exactly what God called it, plans of peace. Many foolishly choose to override peace in exchange for pleasure, notoriety, wealth, convenience. We might say image. We might say keeping up with the Joneses. Don't don't push through that peace. I was listening yesterday to the whole talk about um, FOMO, fear of missing out in social media. And they said all of that, It's a total lack of peace. It says it sucks peace out of people trying to keep up with everybody else. You're not that important to me. I love you, but I want peace more than I want your approval. Always side with peace. Real quick, last few verses. Isaiah 45, five through seven. I am the Lord. This is another powerful spiritual insight. I am the Lord. I have no peer. I love that. Uh, King James says, there is no other. There's no God but me. I arm you for battle, even though you do not recognize me. I do this so people will recognize from east to west that there is no God but me. I am the Lord. I have no peer. I am the one who forms light, and it creates darkness. I am the one who brings about peace, and it creates calamity. I am the Lord who accomplishes all these things. Now, here's what the Lord showed me about that, and I wrote it, so I'll just read the paragraph. This profound passage reveals to us how God views light and peace, darkness and calamity. It helps us understand why we must always seek peace and pursue it. God said he forms light, and what's created in its presence is darkness. Likewise, when he creates peace, everything else is left calamitous. Like if we turn on a brighter light in here than what we have on, everything else instantly becomes darker. And when God has peace, everything apart from that peace is instantly judged as calamity. Think about that. I was, I was writing this, studying this, and my mind, it blessed me so much. I'd never seen this concept. I understand light and dark. Even for all the light we have in the sanctuary, if we bring in a super spotlight, like the bat signal, it's going to make all the rest of this light in here seem dark and even the shadows darker. And when there is a plan of God that is peace, it's the ultimate perfect peace of God. It's as bright as peace as God's light is bright light. Everything that is not that plan is calamity. Even if it works for your sister, even if it worked for you last year, it instantly will not work for you because compared to peace, it's nothing but calamity. And that is why we stick with light and we stick with peace and we don't care what it costs us. It doesn't matter what family doesn't matter what career, doesn't matter what mission trip, doesn't matter what apology, we pay the price to stay in light and peace. Any decision made without peace will bring about instant calamity. And any life that refuses to repent and enter back into that realm of peace will only continue into greater calamity and chaos. And we don't want that. How to be led by peace. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 shows us a very easy formula for being led by the peace of God. Philippians 4, NIV Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Very simple function. Pray and wait for peace. No peace, don't proceed. Peace, proceed. If you don't lack peace, Proceed with caution, committing in your heart you'll walk away if a lack of peace ever arises. Never under any circumstance push through a lack of peace. The will of God will not bring calamity or turmoil to your home. I have zero tolerance for drama in my family. I will hang up on my mom I will hang up on my dad. I will hang up on my brother. I will hang up on any preacher. I will hang up on any friend if they try to bring any drama to my home because my house is growing in peace and I don't want my children comfortable in hell, home hell, not brimstone and eternal hell. I guard my home and I keep tumult. I keep using that word a lot today. I keep chaos and calamity away. I want my children to know peace so the second they lose it, they know where to go back to find it. So many children are raised in calamity. They won't know up from down. and It'll be a miserable life. There are so many scriptures concerning peace. Our lives should be consumed of it, and we should be sensitive to even the slightest glitch in its presence. May we all endeavor to be led by this magnificent peace that only the Prince of Peace can give us. Amen. We're over about six minutes. Father, thank you for these lessons on peace. May the teaching of this have instructed us, corrected us, adjusted us, and and magnified your peace in our heart so that we can glorify you and improve our accuracy as last days Christians serving God Almighty. Bless those in the future by pod school in Jesus name. Amen.